You know, I've heard it said that confidence is that feeling you have right before you fully understand the situation. And an example of that is I saw a video this uh, just recently of uh, two cars sitting at a stoplight, and both were, were muscle cars, sports cars, and one's revving its engine at the other, and it turns green, and he takes off, and they're laughing at the other car behind them that they left him behind, and they're like, oh, he doesn't want any. You know, they're laughing because they beat him so badly off the line, and they're laughing and confident until the car they beat off the line was the police officer. See, confidence is that feeling you have right before you fully understand the situation. But you know, God does want us to be confident in our standing with Him. He wants us to know whether or not we are saved. He wants us to know that we are born again, that we have salvation, and that we are confident in His love and in His grace, not in our own goodness, but in who He is and what He has done for us. But within that confidence, there is a truth that Jesus tells us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This should be very sobering. It should be almost frightening. Because he tells us that in the end, there is going to be a separation that's going to happen that is going to be so great that some people are going to be caught off guard because their confidence was, was there, and they thought that they knew Jesus. They thought that they were saved. They thought they had a good standing with God, and they're going to find out that they didn't. And he warns us about this at the, at the end of his sermon. It's, it's like he takes everything that he's talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, oh, and by the way, this is truly a matter of life and death. And if you don't take the things that I've told you and genuinely put them into your lives and, and walk in them, and that they don't, if they don't become who you are, then you didn't know me. Because to know Jesus is to have the fruit of righteousness in your life. You, you can't help it. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, without mistakes, that doesn't mean that we don't stumble, that we don't need forgiveness and continue to pray. It's not about perfection, but it is about being set apart for God in this world. And so in Matthew 7, 21 through 29, Jesus closes his sermon out with a kingdom truth that we all have to take to heart. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them 
would be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is quite the image that Jesus puts forward here. Two things that he says, there are going to be people who, who were very religious, and even showed some power in the practice of that religion that are not going to be allowed into heaven in the end. They're going to be shown to have not had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he gives us the image of how we will know the difference between the two. And so let's start with the person who is going to be accepted into heaven. You see, the truth is, is that we must be transformed. Now, when I say transformed, what do I mean? I mean completely changed from the inside out. When we come to Jesus Christ in faith, we are literally told in Scripture that we become a new creation. It says the old has gone, all things become new. And so when we come to God in faith, through Jesus Christ, this isn't just about, well, I need to check this box in my life to make sure God's present so that my life works out. No, what we are doing is trading an old life for a new one, an old way of existing for a new one, an old set of priorities for kingdom priorities. And we become an entirely new creation. And what Jesus is talking about when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, he's saying that in this world, we can fool people with the externals, while the internal, while the heart and the mind remain unchanged. And he says, if that is the case, you will not make it into heaven. Because though you may fool yourself and you may fool everybody else in this world and you may fool your church and you may fool the world, God is not fooled. He knows those who are His and He knows those who are not. And there is a truth to this that He says, in the end, which means there will be people that we will go through this whole life thinking that they were saved, that they were Christians, only to find out on judgment day that they weren't. There are people who are going to think that they are in good with God and that everything's okay only to find out on judgment day that they are not. And that's what Jesus means when he says on that day is that sometimes this revelation will not happen until the very, very end. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that's scary to me. That's frightening. That people could be around the things of God around the people of God, around the truth of God. And it never make it into their heart. And yet they muster up enough discipline and effort to fool everybody around them and even fool themselves. That that should scare every one of us. Because I don't want to get to judgment day and God say, you know what, I don't know who you are. You see, it's told in Hebrews 9.27, it says, it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes 
judgment. This is a kingdom truth that all of us needs to live with, is that every single one of us will stand before God in judgment one day. Now, the Christian's judgment will be different from the non-Christian's judgment. Okay, I don't, don't get this confused. If you are born again, then all of your sin, all of the wrongdoing you've ever done, that will not be counted against you. It's gone. It was nailed to the cross. It, you are forgiven, and God will not bring it up again. Amen? He won't bring it up again. It's over. That's what Jesus meant when he said, it is finished. The sacrifice is paid, but we will stand before God. And what the Christian judgment will be, we'll get to in just a second. But what Jesus is focused on here is, he is focused on transformation. Not just external actions, not just going through the motions and and checking the box of, look, I did all of these good things in my life, so now I must be in good with God. One of the most common responses that I see from people that I've gotten myself and I see in in other things is when we start talking to unbelievers about salvation, do you believe you will go to heaven? When people say yes and you ask why, they'll say, because I tried to do good things in my life. And the belief behind that is, is that if the good outweighs the bad, God's going to let you in. Let me tell you right now, that is not how that works. That is, God will not compromise. One sin is enough to condemn all of us to an eternity in hell. One sin. One bit of impurity. It's not about all the good that you've done in life. It's about one act of rebellion. And so Jesus says, look... It doesn't matter. We have to be transformed from the inside out. And it says people are going to stand before him and say, but, 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 I prophesied in your name. I spoke good things to people, but I cast out demons in your name. See, they're talking about the miraculous external things of God that, that yeah, they're, they're a part of the godly life. But that doesn't mean that the heart has been transformed. You see, the name of Jesus is so powerful that, that, that spoken in the presence of demonic forces, they still are going to retreat whether the person is a believer or not. And we can dress up the outside. Oh, man, we're good at it, aren't we? In fact, there, there are two stories I want to talk, talk about really fast that kind of illustrate exactly what Jesus was talking about. Okay, the first is in Matthew 23, 27. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Now, who were the Pharisees in Jesus' day? The scribes. They were the ultra-religious they were the religious powers that be. Okay, they were, they, they were the leaders. They were the ones telling everybody how to be godly. And Jesus says, he called them hypocrites. He says, you, you will lay these burdens on people's backs, but you yourselves won't carry them. And it all came back to the fact that they dressed up the outside, but inside were still 
full of death. And they would dress it up. And to be called a whitewashed tomb, as you, you remember in Jesus' day, this, a, a tomb was typically something cut into the side of a mountain, which was probably beautiful. And the stonework and everything that was there it would be dressed up and it would, look, it would look pleasant on the outside, but you knew what was on the inside and you didn't want to go in. You did not want to roll away the stone in the least. You didn't want to do any of that because you knew how bad it was going to be. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter It is only those who do the will of the Father. Now, how do we do the will of the Father? By the power of the Holy Spirit, which means we've been transformed. We've been made new. Because spiritual power is a real thing. Okay, we've we've kind of lost this in in the modern world for some reason. I, I don't know why. Science, technology, whatever. But we have lost the mystery of spirituality and spiritual power. Spiritual power is real. Dark spiritual power is real. You know, when we read through the Old Testament, we see a world where where magicians turn a staff into a snake. Now, do we believe that happened? If we believe the Scripture and we believe that happened, then there is a way in this world right now using dark spiritual power to turn a stick into a snake. That is power that is real. It's there. And we either believe that what the Scripture says is true or we don't. And too many times I think right now we live as though that kind of dark spiritual power doesn't exist. And we think we got it figured out. We think because of technology today or whatever that we're somehow more advanced. I I don't know. I look back on the pyramids and such, and I think they may have known something we didn't. We don't. But it was real. Spiritual power is real. And if we are not equipped through the Holy Spirit, we can be fooled. We can be fooled very easily. There is a story in the book of Acts in chapter 19, verses 11 through 14. And it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Now, what is a miracle except for something that violates the laws of science? Okay, it violates the laws of physics. It violates the law. Everything that we know, this is how the world is. A miracle proves that something exists outside of that. And it says, There were many extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. That is a powerful spiritual battle that is going on there that God is winning, that that, that, that the gospel is advancing through these miracles and it's proving that the gospel is true and it's getting people's attention. Verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, not Christian, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, and listen to this, Jesus I know, 
And Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. You see, spiritual power is real. And if we, we, we can see things, and that's where Paul or, or Jesus says, they're going to be pooping and say, but didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I do this in your name? Didn't, didn't I see these miracles happen? And he says, well, yeah, those were God's miracles, not yours. And I never knew you. You see, even the demons right here, you know, James says that even the demons believe in God and shudder. Even the demons right here, they're like, yeah, I know who Jesus is. And I've heard of Paul. Who are you? You see, there is a truth to are we genuinely walking with Jesus? Do we know him personally? Have we been born again? Because the key to understanding what Jesus is saying here is when he calls them workers of lawlessness. He says, away from me, you workers of lawlessness. Well, what is the law that he's talking about? Ten Commandments. What he has given us already in this sermon of of being pure in heart, of being poor in spirit, of reflecting the righteousness of God through our lives. And if our lives don't show that, then we can't claim to know him. Have you ever been around somebody that liked to name drop? Have you ever called them on it? It's like, do you really know that person? Prove it. Call them on the phone right now. Let's hear you talk to them. You see, there, there has to be a moment where the proof has to show itself. And the truth of what is said comes to light. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying in the final judgment. That everybody will stand before God and the truth will be known. The truth of whether or not they knew Jesus. The truth of of why they did what they did in life. Was it out of faithfulness to Jesus or was it to fool everybody else and to feel good about themselves? Was it to gain power or was it to give power and lift people up? The truth will be exposed. Now, within this, I'm not talking about a legalistic checklist of, you know, well, okay, you know, he does the will of God. Okay, well, I'll make sure I pray more. I'll make sure I go to church more. That's not what I'm talking about. Yes, those things are good, but that's exactly what it is that he says. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not go to church? I did all this stuff. But you know what they never really did? The will of God in their lives. Because God is going to go straight for the heart every single time. Now, how many in here, let's just be honest, have had a project to do at your house or something and you didn't want to do it, so suddenly you're into cleaning, you're into lawn work, You're into everything else under the sun except for that thing that you know you're supposed to be doing, right? I mean, we'll work hard to avoid work, right? And that's exactly what we do sometimes spiritually is that God says, this is my will for you and this is what I want you to do. And we're like, oh, I'll do everything else under the sun, God, but that. And God says, well, that's not my will. Well, they're doing it. Well, that's my will for them. This is my will for you. 
And we have to be willing to allow God to guide our hearts and our minds in transformation that we become the people he wants us to be. And if we are not doing, exercising our faith in true obedience to the will of God, okay, that we ask God, God, what do you want? And he tells us through his word, through a sermon, through people around us in our own spirit, he reveals his will for our lives. If we don't do that, then our faith is dead. We aren't living by faith then. And in fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said it this way. In James 2, 14 through 17, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can, the faith, can that faith save him? Now, the answer is no. That's a rhetorical question in which the answer is no. If our faith does not lead to genuine obedience from the heart, then that faith is dead. It says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? And what he's showing here is that your words become meaningless when not followed by the actions that prove you mean them. It says, so also faith by itself, it does not have, if it does not have works, is dead. It's dead. Now, what is faith? This is my definition of faith, okay? This has kind of been my working definition of faith through ministry and just my Christian life. Something you believe so strongly, you must act on it. That is faith. Okay? Or that you act because of it. And so every one of you in here had an action of faith today, whether you knew it or not. You know why? You're sitting in a chair. You sat down and believed that chair would hold. And you didn't really think twice about it, did you? You just sat down. Because you had faith, you believed that the chairs were solid, that they're good, they're not going to collapse, and you sat down and you trusted it. That is an act of faith. Because we all know what happens when that faith isn't rewarded and a chair breaks under us. Right? It's not a happy moment. But we have to exercise faith in this world. And so we have to start asking ourselves, what is my foundation in life? What is my foundation? Because that's what this comes down to. If our foundation is impressing others, then we will do the things that are necessary to impress others. If our foundation is on the word of God and the promises of Jesus and faith in him, then we will do the things that will please him. And that's why Jesus tells us right up front right here is he says, look, it's like this. Everyone who hears these words of mine, verse 24 in chapter 7 of Matthew, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. You see, it's about the foundation. It's about the motivation, the motives, why we do things. That's what's important. And he says, if you will listen to his words, if we will trust, put our faith in Jesus Christ alone and trust him implicitly, 
trust him with our lives, he says, you will not fall. Now, does he say that the storms won't come? No. In fact, he says just the opposite. The storms are going to come. They're going to beat on the house. The waves are going to come up. It's going to try to collapse what you have built on the foundation. But if the foundation is good, then what is built on the foundation will stand. And if your life is built on a foundation of Jesus Christ, then you will stand. And in the end, it will be revealed that your foundation was on Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. He says, but if the foundation is not solid, if it is built on something other than Jesus, then those same storms are going to come and they're going to wash out the foundation. And, and, you know, if you've ever been to a beach and you know the waves, the way they come, and you see it just move, you know, have you ever had, maybe you went and you, you started building a sandcastle and then the tide starts coming in. And what do you do? No, 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 no. And you start trying to put it back together and, and you just, then you, you finally give up and you just watch helplessly as all of your work just begins to disintegrate with each wave and it just collapses and it falls. And that's what Jesus says is that the fall will be great. It'll all come unraveled eventually because we are going to be tested in life. We're going to be tested. There is no, there's no way around that. When he says that the waves are going to come, Jesus means it. Y'all think he means that? The waves are going to come. It's going to beat against the house. It is going to happen. Life has a way of taking us to the point of revealing what's truly inside. You know why? Because God is interested in our heart. And he is going to do that. But what's important is what is left after this happens. You see, Paul talks about the Christian judgment that's going to be faced. I already told you the, the, the unbeliever will face a judgment of did you know him? But the Christian will face a judgment of what did you build? What did you do with the life that you were given? And listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. It says, according to the grace, God, the grace of God given to me, this is Paul talking, it says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day judgment will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. See, this is the judgment that Christians are going to face. What did you do with the life that you were given? 
Did you build something worth having? Did you build something eternal? You see, we've often heard the saying, you can't take it with you, right? Who, who in here has heard that? What do we mean by that? You know, our money, our possessions, all that stuff. We can't take it. We die and it, it all gets left. But you know what? There is a loophole. You know, there is a loophole in that. You know what you do get to take with you? Everything of eternal value that you built in this world will follow you into heaven. Every soul that you won to Jesus Christ will be in heaven with you. So whatever kingdom you live for is going to follow you to heaven. And if you are a Christian who lived for worldly kingdoms, you're going to get to heaven and go, wow, I wasted a lot of time because it will be burned up. Now you yourself will be saved. That's what Paul just said. He says, you will be saved. You're not going to lose your salvation over anything. You will get into heaven, but it's going to be revealed what your life was about after you were saved. And so how many of us want to take a treasure to heaven with us? See, that's what Jesus said. He says, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Lay up treasures in heaven. And he means that. That there is literally a treasure that you can build, that you can hide, that you can create here in this world now that will follow you into heaven. And it'll be there as a reward for you when you get there. We will be tested in this world. But you know what? The end is worth it. The end is worth it. Do you know what is waiting on us? Do you know what is waiting on you in heaven? I mean, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has stored for those who love him. So, you know, when people ask me a lot of times, do you think this will be in heaven? I say, no. And they're like, why? why? And I said, because you can imagine it. Because you can understand it. And heaven is going to be so beyond our wildest imagination in love, in goodness, in righteousness, we will literally be in the presence of God Almighty and continue to exist. Now, in the Old Testament, remember, he said, you can't be in my prayer. You'll die if you are in the presence of God. But all of that is taken care of. And I want you to listen to Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Just listen to this, okay? Let your imagination run with it. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, so beautiful. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. 
Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. That's what's waiting. That's what this is all about is that God's kingdom started when Jesus Christ appeared in this world. That's why he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they're all like, where, where? And he's like, I'm right here. It started with Jesus. It ends. It doesn't end, but it is fully culminated in a new heaven and a new earth where we live with God for all of eternity. And everything that is broken in this world is fixed. But it's not just fixed, it's made new. It is elevated to something beyond what we could imagine right now. And he will be personally invested in repairing every hurt and every wound that ever entered your life. It says he will wipe away every tear. This is talking about God. The creator of the universe will personally wipe away every tear, heal every wound. Right every wrong and fix everything that was ever broken. That's why the end is worth it. But we have to make sure that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and that we are walking with him. Otherwise, we don't get it. There is no amount of good works we can do that's going to earn heaven for us. We have to lay it down and give <clears throat> and give ourselves to him wholeheartedly <clears throat> we can hold nothing back we must be transformed from the inside and we do that by trusting him as lord and savior and following him in faith every single day we worship together we hold each other up. We pray for each other. We love one another dearly as he has told us. And we trust God in all things. And we live for him. We gather together in moments like this. And we do as Jesus said. And we remember what he has done by taking Lord's Supper together. And so if you have your elements with you, See, Jesus gave us <clears throat> two symbols that we as a church are to practice to remind us of just what he has done for us. And those are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is where we have given ourselves to him in salvation. We have accepted him as Lord and Savior and put our faith in, in his death and resurrection on the cross. And the Lord's Supper is where we remember the cost of our salvation regularly together as the body of Christ. We remember that on the night before his crucifixion, Jesus met with his friends. He called them friends that night. And he said he had longed, he was eager to take that 
Passover meal with them because he took the bread. And he said, this bread is my body, which shall be given for you. And after he'd taken the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which shall be given for you. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. So today we remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us and was resurrected. It is not about what we've done. It's about what he has done for us, that he gave his life. And so together we eat the bread. And together we drink of the cup. Now today, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, maybe you've gone to church your whole life. You know, I knew a deacon once that had been a deacon. He'd gone to church for over 30 years. He'd been a deacon for 15 of them, and then he got saved. See, he was in danger of being one of those that said, Lord, Lord, did I not serve in church for you? Did I not do this? And he would have said, away from me, I never knew you. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk. I don't know if you've truly trusted Jesus as your Savior. But today, that can all change. Today, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, then when we sing this last song, I'm going to be down here. You just simply come forward to me and say, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus, and I want Him to know me. We'll pray, and you can put your trust in Jesus and be saved for all of eternity. It really is that simple because God said, Jesus said, for for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's all about belief. If we just believe him, he will save us.